It is Earth Day. Why is it that every Earth Day I feel the need to announce that sort of like a Saturday morning Justice League cartoon announcer? Today is Earth Day. Anniversary, the birth of the environmental movement, Earth Day, looking to inspire new ideas and bring people to action to save the planet. To save the planet on Earth Day. Uh, the theme for this year's Earth Day is Restore Our Earth. I guess that makes sense. That was real original, but there you go. Restore Our Earth. Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, job killer or job creator, or could it be both? For Earth Day, a closer look at the impact of green energy on Ohio's economy from the perspective of a blue-collar worker who's been on both sides. Also this morning, automobile manufacturers believe that electric power is the way of the future. For consumers, buying an EV is different in some significant ways from purchasing a conventional vehicle. In today's Throwback Thursday segment this morning, Discourse Dysfunction. How do we get back to a civil debate on the issues? And Campfire is headed back to camp. We have details on how you can sign your kids up for day camp and resident camp programs for the summer of 2021. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. In addition to Earth Day today, it is Girl Scout Leader Day. So, big salute to the Girl Scout leaders of the world. It is Love Your Thighs Day, it says here. Love Your Thighs Day. National Jelly Bean Day. Those two things would seem to be uh, uh, bumping up against each other. You know, Jelly Bean Day and Love Your Thighs Day. Uh, take our daughters and sons to work day today as well. So, reasons to celebrate today, in addition to Earth Day. Good mornings to you. Here is an interesting story, the most, maybe the most interesting story of the morning. And I saw this on the, uh, on the Newswire, jumped out at me immediately. Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance Jr. announced yesterday that his office will no longer prosecute prostitution. He said in a statement, quote, over the last decade, we have learned from those with lived experience and from our own experience on the ground, criminally prosecuting prostitution does not make us safer and too often achieves the opposite result by further marginalizing vulnerable New Yorkers, unquote. However, that being said, Associated crimes, like patronizing sex workers, meaning paying for sex, sex trafficking, and promoting prostitution, will still be prosecuted. Uh, Mr. Vance's office had already been dismissing prostitution cases after sending those charged to mandatory counseling sessions. Yesterday's statement said such counseling sessions will now be voluntary. Despite this change, it doesn't go far enough for some... Attorney Abigail Swenstein, the Legal Aid Society's Exploitation Intervention Project, praised the action but favors the push by some to, quote, fully decriminalize sex work. So, first marijuana, now prostitution. They're not really really saying that they want to make prostitution legal. 
what they, I believe, and I don't mean to put words in anyone's mouth here, but the way I understand it, they're going after the pimps, the pushers, the sex traffickers, but not the prostitution, uh, the prostitutes themselves, because quite often uh, these girls and sometimes young men uh, are forced into uh, this activity against their will. So they are not the ones they are seen as victims as well. So we're not necessarily legalizing uh, all of this, but that's kind of what it sounds like. You know what I mean? Anyway, just thought that was uh, really interesting. That's going to create some buzz. A lot of discussion about that. You are waking up this morning. I thought you would be interested in uh, hearing this. You're kind of groggy this morning. Have you, you know, not getting a good night's sleep? I've had those mornings. Well, if you want to get a better night's sleep, listen to music before going to bed. It can improve your sleep quality, at least in older adults. Wiley College researchers found that older adults who listened to music experienced significantly better sleep quality than those who did not. And also, older adults who listened to sedative music experienced greater improvement in sleep quality than those who listened to more rhythmic music. So, more Barry Manilow, less electronic dance music. (laughs) Um, in addition, listening to music for longer than four weeks was especially effective at improving sleep quality. So you can't just, apparently you don't get the benefit if you just do it occasionally. You got to do this routinely for a month or more. The study authors say music therapy might be the first line of therapy to recommend in older adults with sleep disturbances and thereby reducing the need for dependence on sedatives or sleeping medications. So that's what precipitated the survey. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, Speaking of music, apparently music can not only help you fall asleep and sleep better, but it can also make you a better driver. Complete opposite here, and probably the opposite of what you might think. Researchers in the U.K., find that listening to rap music can increase a driver's reaction time behind the wheel. Uh, It also helps to have noisy children in the car. (laughs) They say that heightens a driver's perception levels. So, and they say if you can't stand rap music, if you don't have any noisy kids, just drink coffee. Uh, So jack yourself up on caffeine before getting behind the wheel. It sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But the data showed that women are quicker at spotting dangers on the road than men are, and that listening to R&B music, rhythm and blues, likely to slow your response time. So rap will increase your reaction time. R&B will slow your response time. Uh, and with respect to the coffee, he said those who have a cup of coffee 20 minutes before driving stopped significantly more quickly when spotting a hazard on the road compared to those who had no caffeine uh, in their system at all. So, <laughs> apparently, being really wired behind the wheel is a good thing. I, it's counterintuitive, but that's what the research says. And who are we to argue with research. You're uh, getting up this morning. 
getting ready to uh, head out, head to work. This is a fascinating study out of the University of Illinois. If you are concerned that your job might be changing you as a person, you could be right. Researchers looked at how chronic workplace stress can fundamentally change people's personalities in both short and long-term situations. They assessed they assessed this through the Big Five model of personality traits, conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness, and extroversion. Researcher Jarvis Smallfield. What a name. Jarvis Smallfield. I think I want to adopt that as my as my on-air name. Don't call me Chris anymore. I will henceforth be known as Jarvis Smallfield. <laughs> what a great name. But I digress. Researcher Jarvis Smallfield explains the most notable uh, change in personality due to workplace stress is neuroticism. Uh, related to issues such as employee burnout and clinical depression and may downwardly spiral over time. In other words, if you're stressed at work, you may become more neurotic, which makes you more sensitive to stress. You can see where this would be a negative snowball. Jarvis Smallfield adds that the data shows the personality changes can occur in as little as four weeks and says that not all workplace stressors have the same type of damaging effect. There are, in fact, positive stressors. For example, when you believe that you can overcome a stressor and overcoming that stressor will get you something you want, such as meeting a difficult deadline. That'll help you earn a promotion or a bonus if you hit it. You can help protect yourself from the bad stress by viewing problems as surmountable obstacles that are rewarding to overcome. He says work is naturally stressful. There's no real way to avoid that, nor would we want to. We need those challenges to thrive. The problem comes when the stresses stop being healthy challenges and become overwhelming, out of our control, or without purpose. So, how about that? Jarvis Smallfield. I just love that name. So there we go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly sunny skies today and a high 48. Mostly clear tonight with a low 33. There were a lot of emergency vehicles a little north of Macomb last night. It just so happened that a semi crashed and an RV caught fire next to a home at around the same time on County Road 126. The semi-driver was okay, but the rig leaked some diesel into a ditch. In the other incident, the RV was totally destroyed. See video and pictures on our website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol and the Ohio Department of Transportation gave an update on the effectiveness of the distracted driving safety corridor on Interstate 75. We asked Lieutenant Grigsby if the corridor is accomplishing what they hoped it would. It has. It's driven injury and, and fatal crashes down. We haven't had a single fatality in this particular corridor um, in the uh, in the time that, it's, that the corridor has been uh, active. The distracted driving safety corridor implemented in March of last year is a 20-mile stretch of I-75 from Finley to Beaver Dam. Get more on our website. That's our Matt Demchek reporting. 
Students at Finley's Chamberlain Hill Intermediate School are learning to be environmental leaders by recycling. Third grade teacher Jennifer Sewerman. So we just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge some of our leadership teams here at Chamberlain Hill and also those that are helping with our environment in commemoration of the 50th She says one birthday. of their Leader in Me leadership teams is called Environmental Leaders, and those students are responsible for the school's recycling. As Jennifer mentioned, today is Earth Day. Get more on our website. A section of Interstate 75 will be down to one lane in Finley for 12 hours beginning tonight. The Ohio Department of Transportation says Interstate 75 northbound on the southern end of the city will have overnight lane restrictions in the two right lanes for bridge maintenance. The lane closures will begin tonight at 7 and go until 7 tomorrow morning. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, of course, a central part of the bill that President Biden is calling his infrastructure and jobs plan is accelerating the transition to clean energy. And in selling that effort, the administration is highlighting clean energy jobs. Dave Bush is an electrician from Youngstown, a pipeline and oil field specialist who has transitioned to working on solar projects. And Dave, as you know, there is a healthy skepticism of the idea of a complete transition to clean energy. What convinced you that this was the future? Well, first off, I'd like to thank you for having me on. And uh, what really did convince me was pure economics. Uh, work in the Youngstown uh Warren area, it, it, it's been slowing down because we are the Rust Belt. And uh, I was given the opportunity to uh, start working these green energy jobs. And I realized that the market is expanding at a breakneck pace. And uh, I kind of wanted to get in on that. Now, for a time, uh, Ohio was seen as kind of being on the cutting edge of this uh, clean energy economy. There were a lot of startups uh, supplying technology for solar and wind energy. Uh, but over the course of the past decade, decade and a half, uh, that industry has struggled somewhat. And legislation at the state level has not helped for anyone who uh, follows this uh, industry. And that's not even taking into account the impact uh, of the pandemic. What is the state of this industry in Ohio, in your experience? Well, in my experience, it is expanding now. Uh, technology 10 years ago is nothing compared to the technology now. Uh, 10 years ago, one of those solar panels only produced 100 watts. And now that's, that's a regular light bulb. Uh, now they're producing 400 watts. And we're producing, 10 years ago, we didn't have the high efficiency light bulbs that we have today. So we're producing a lot more electricity with a lot less space. Uh, same thing with uh, electric vehicle cars. Uh, 10 years ago, it was uh, a rarity to see one on the road. But now I could look out into the parking lot and I could see three Teslas parked. So I, I think th there's a huge, huge improvement in the technology and the accessibility of all these new green energy uh, opportunities. 
when we talk about the impact of the pandemic, because, you know, the pandemic really uh, affected everyone and uh, talking about the impact of the economy uh, of the state of Ohio, you make the argument that this can be one way of jumpstarting post-pandemic growth and, and getting people working again. I think that's a very accurate assessment. I, I, I think that getting construction workers and getting everybody else back to work, it, it should be a high priority. And this green energy or renewable energy is definitely an excellent vehicle to uh, propel us forward. Are, are skills such as yours easily transferable? As we mentioned, you worked in the uh, oil industry for a number of years. Are those skills easily transferable to uh, renewable energy? I mentioned how much specialized training are we talking about here? Well, I'm a member of the IBW and I have been for 15 years. And uh, we, we do offer classes on renewable energy, solar panels, uh, wind turbine. The skills are pretty much interchangeable a wire plugging into another wire is the same whether it's in a coal plant or whether it's in a solar field it's uh it does require some getting used to because working in a coal plant the conditions are definitely a little bit more uh harsh Mm. than working in an open field or working on a rooftop but uh the, the skills are there there's Many, many training opportunities. My hall, uh, IBW 573 in Warren, Ohio, actually has a training facility where we have climbing towers and they offer classes on solar panel installation. So it's there and it's not that hard. That's the choice you want to make. So where are the projects uh, coming from? I mean, uh, you know, this this is great. And, and uh, as you mentioned, there should be jobs uh, available. But, but where's the startup money for the projects that are going to hire uh, those people and build those uh, solar fields or those uh, wind turbines and, and so on? Well, from what I understand, a lot of these, uh, the current projects are privately funded they do get a tax credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a small amount of government help. Now, what would help these projects increase in uh, uh, duration and an increase in size would be tax credits, uh, government incentives to uh, switch these people over to uh, green energy. So that way we can get more of these projects on the books and more people out in the field doing the installation and and then of course uh you you talk about the other end uh, of this and that is uh demand obviously as you mentioned there are more uh electric and hybrid vehicles uh on the road which is one uh source of demand but what about convincing consumers that this is a seamless transition uh with respect to the end user I think the consumers, I mean, just think about it personally. You have an EV vehicle, a, a car, you come home and uh, you have to plug that in to charge it. Now you have to pay for that electricity. Well, what if you had a solar panel up on your roof and you powered your house for free or at a discounted rate with that solar panel? And then all the excess energy that you didn't use went to a battery storage unit. And then you plug your car in you could almost drive your vehicle for free. I mean, I, I think that'd be a great incentive for the normal customer. Uh, and also making it cheaper to to build these things would definitely 
turn a lot of people on. Everybody that I've talked to is interested in it. It's just the economics of the uh, initial yeah. capital investment is kind of turning people away. Well, and that's that's kind of the the point. I mean, again, whether we're talking about the investment uh, on the construction end, the investment uh, that that may be required on the consumer end. I mean, that's really the the thing. And as we started the conversation, we mentioned you made your living in the oil and gas industry. Uh, before transitioning to these uh, clean energy projects yourself, I, I'm guessing that you had the same skepticism going into this. I did. Uh, I mean, when I started doing this, it was, I almost thought of it as a novelty. Mm-hmm. Oh, he wants to put solar panels on his right. house or they have a wind turbine. It, it's not going to do anything. But uh, as I got more educated and actually did the installations, I started realizing that there's, a, a big impact can be made by this technology if used correctly and if made more widely available. Again, uh, Dave Bush is an electrician from Youngstown, uh, experienced in uh, the fossil fuel industry, experienced in the clean energy industry as well, to offer some perspective on the uh, whole question of transitioning uh, to clean energy nationwide. As I mentioned, that is a big part of President Biden's uh, infrastructure and jobs plan that he is uh, out there pushing right now. Uh, Dave, thanks very much for taking the time, sharing your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. So are electric vehicles the way of the future? It would seem so, with more models being introduced each year and many manufacturers pledging an all-electric fleet within the next couple of decades. But there are a few things first-time electric car buyers should ask themselves before going green. And so on this Earth Day, we are joined by Auto Trader Executive Editor Brian Moody. And Brian, let me start with that basic question. Are EVs the future? I mean, you hear a lot about uh, these car companies that say we're going to go all green, all electric uh, within the next 20 years or so. Is that a reality or will that really happen? I think it will happen eventually. Um, I don't know if I agree with everybody's timeline. So think of it this way. A lot of automakers have said things like, our intention is, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. Those are good intentions, but intentions don't always work out to be the truth. The same with when you hear political speeches and announcements and declarations. And, <laughs> right. you know, a person who's in office today that tells about what's going to happen in 15 years well, I mean, I only went to state college, so I'm not the smartest person around, but <laughs> you know, that, that may or may not happen. Uh, I think that what's going to happen is people will get into these electric cars and they will see that they like them better than, say, the previous one. Not everyone, but most people. And once that happens, you'll start getting a larger and larger adoption rate. So what are the things that people should consider before buying an electric vehicle? This is not the same as going to buy, you know, the types of cars that we bought uh, in the, in the past. There are certain models that fit bet best with certain lifestyles and so on. So how do we analyze all that uh, so that we don't end up with buyer's remorse? Right. So figure out the size of car that you need. Uh, electric cars tend to be a little bit smaller because they need to be lightweight to get the most efficiency out of the battery. So I would just do the same thing you would do with any kind of car, gasoline powered or electric power, doesn't matter, is take your stuff, make sure it fits, make sure your child seats will fit, make sure your kids fit comfortably, make sure your pets, all that kind of stuff. 
anything specific with respect to electric vehicles particularly that you wouldn't necessarily have to uh, consider when uh, buying a traditional internal combustion vehicle? Yes. The two things that you should consider that are specific to electric cars are um, the price and the range that you need to drive. And those two things are going to be very closely related. A longer range electric car is going to be more expensive. One with a shorter range is going to be less expensive. So a Nissan Leaf with a 150-mile range in the base model is about $30,000. A Tesla Model S with a very long range battery can be, you know, Seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. So they're closely related, and you have to figure out what's best for you. You don't want to overspend. And I would imagine that we even have electric vehicles that have towing capacities now, and those uh, I'm guessing are even more expensive because of that. Yes, and electric trucks are are coming. Ford says they're going to build an electric F one fifty. Chevy says they're going to build an electric Silverado, and we know Rivian. And Hummer are also planning to bring electric trucks and SUVs to the market. Yeah. And that towing and that capacity and capability, that will be a big test for those. When we talk about price, uh, I mean, for all automobile purchases, a lot of it comes down to price and what we can afford. A lot of that's why uh, the used car market is so popular. But with respect to EVs, is this one of the things that we need to, I mean, should shoppers be looking at used EVs? Are there any downsides to buying used instead of new? I would be hesitant to buy a 15 year old electric car, uh, not because they're not reliable, not for any reason other than I just don't know how it was treated and replacing the battery is going to be expensive. So if you were to buy a 20 year old, let's say a gasoline powered car and you had to replace the, I don't know, the gas tank or the water pump or those, there's, there's yeah. a known cost for that. The electric cars replacing the battery pack is going to be very expensive. So I would stick to new or lightly used um, electric cars. They mostly have very long warranties. Eight years or a hundred thousand miles is about the standard. And does that, uh, actually point to, uh, maybe a, a change? I mean, if indeed we are going to see an eventual transition to an all electric fleet, is that going to change the used car market, uh, as well? I mean, for example, will it be standard operating procedure for uh, a used vehicle to get a new battery after a certain uh, amount of time? I mean, we have certified vehicles right now that have all of these, you know, uh, extended warranties and so on. Is that going to be a part of it moving forward? Right. Is it going to change how used vehicles it are marketed? May be, it may be, but remember the certified pre-owned vehicles that you're talking about, those dealerships and those programs have to qualify those cars. So not right. every car that comes to a, sure. say, your local Ford dealer gets turned into a certified. Sometimes this just doesn't make sense. Um, with the high cost of the batteries in, in these um, electric cars, replacing them, well, I don't know how that's going to work. I think that yeah. as the technology comes down in price, you might see more and more of that kind of thing. But that's still, I think, years away, probably 10 years. Well, and, and that actually kind of leads to this question that I wanted to ask. Can I kind of see what you think about this? I've had this conversation with friends of mine when we talk about uh, electric vehicles, and I think the key to universal acceptance of electric vehicles will be to improve battery technology to the point 
where it is swappable, kind of like the way you exchange the propane tank for your gas grill. You pull into a recharging station, and instead of having to plug in, you just pull out the dead battery, put in a fresh one, and you're on your way for maybe half the cost of a tank of gas. I mean, wouldn't that be the best answer to the range anxiety question, ultimately? It could be. Um, That would certainly, if there was a system for that, it would be quicker than having to charge it up in the middle of the day. Um, but there was a company that tried that. There was a company called Better Place, and they tried that. I think it was an Israeli company that tried a system of retrofitting Renaults with a battery pack that could easily be swapped in and out, and then they had swap stations placed throughout. Mm-hmm. The company doesn't exist anymore, or they went <laughs> up. So I'm not sure what the problem was. Was it the environment? Was it the car? We don't really know. Yeah. Uh, there are still an awful lot of unknowns, but it is interesting to think about what the future may hold. And we were talking about, uh, obviously, these things are on the market now. We we're talking about things that uh, buyers will want to keep in mind as they are considering electric vehicles. And you actually have a lot more on that topic on your website, right? Yeah, we have we have a ton of good electric vehicle information. And we actually have a list of our 10 best um, electric cars for 2021 at autotrader.com. Uh, in honor of Earth Day, talking about all things green, Auto Trader Executive Editor Brian Moody with us once again this morning. Brian, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now time for our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. One of America's greatest strengths is that we are a nation of diversity. Diversity in race, diversity of thought. But lately, it seems that more and more people are struggling to see the positive side of diversity in all its forms. We dismiss racial inequality because we don't personally see it. We buy into the false narrative that anyone who doesn't share our political point of view is anti-American. And when we do discuss our differences, we use increasingly harsh and incendiary rhetoric that only serves to paint others as the enemy and put them on the defensive. We were speaking about this a little bit with a Representative John Cross yesterday with respect to the Courier editorial earlier in the week uh, that used some pretty inflammatory language to call him and others out for their stance on uh, gun control issues. Uh, this can't be the way that it is supposed to be, right? That we call each other names and we use this kind of language and we can do better, right? Sarah Ruger directs free free expression initiatives for the Charles Koch Institute. And back in January of 28, we spoke to her about the discourse dysfunction that we are suffering from and the meaning of free speech in the digital age. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Is the view on free speech itself changing in this country? Maybe free speech hasn't necessarily changed. I, uh, I, I read way too many polls and I've been looking at, <laughs> at basically polls over the last 30 to 40 years. And my major takeaway was that um, everyone's always wanted to censor each other. We've just disagreed on, on who should get to speak and who should be silenced. Um, what's really being lost, I think, is is the art of, of productive debate, of civil discourse across these divides. And, and that's why at the Koch Foundation, we're very focused on supporting educational programs that teach uh, young people especially how to think critically and how to, how to speak to each other uh, civilly and productively on difficult uh, and timely issues. How did we get here? Why, why is it or how is it that we became 
so intolerant on one hand, intolerant of uh, others' point of view, any other point of view other than our own, and then for others who are just afraid to speak up because of the reaction that espousing a different point of view might generate. You have an hour? <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of factors that got us here, whether it's parenting or education or psychology or politics, but I, maybe a spot of good news is I don't know that it's actually any worse than it ever was. It's just that thanks to technology and social media, you hear the, the difficult news a lot faster and a lot louder than you used to. Um, but that same technology that, that makes it possible for us to retreat into our, our bubbles full of people who, who agree with us and share our ideas, that's the same technology that can empower you to reach across divides, across any distance, and to encounter new knowledge and new ideas you might have never had access to before. And, and you know, as, as bad as some of those stories are in the news, uh, there are a lot of good stories going on across the country. I mean, I can, I can think of several, but just one to highlight a uh, program that we're supporting at Wiley College. It's a historically black university in, in Texas where uh, our grant is bringing back their Great Debaters program, which uh, you might recall from a popular Denzel Washington movie a, a few years ago, the students at Wiley College are debating each other robustly but civilly every day of the week, uh, and, and hundreds of programs around the country are doing exactly that. And, and the more we can model that as an alternative to the incivility, uh, the more we'll be able to tackle the tough issues in front of us. Now, I, I have to bring this up because, as we mentioned, you direct uh, the uh, free expression initiatives with the Charles Koch Institute, and there are some who would point to activists on both both sides of the political aisle, the Koch brothers uh, included, that have fueled this partisan divide. What I think is important to, to, to point out is that good conversations are taking place every day. That's why we're so committed to providing uh, support for these programs where people learn how to do this productively and learn how to do this civilly. And, and you can check out uh, those stories uh, that highlight where this is working well at charlescochfoundation.org. That's Koch spelled K-O-C-H. Uh, you know, ultimately, I, I heard from one of our grantee partners recently who works on, on issues of, of community violence in, in urban areas. You know, he, he said, you can't heal what you hate. Similarly, we can't fix what you tune out. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to get engaged, and that's what activists do so well, just get engaged civilly and, and productively. So how do we begin to do that? I mean, again, speak to just uh, the, the average person uh, in, in the audience. And obviously, like you said, you've got a number of initiatives where you are doing sure. that at uh, the collegiate level and then you know, the institutional level. But how do we do that at the individual level? It, it starts small and can add up hugely uh, across society. Go out and grab a cup of coffee with somebody who's different than yourself. Go go ask questions and seek understanding from somebody who you know comes from a different perspective or a different background than you do. Go seek out news from a, a source that you know uh, assesses it from a perspective that's different than your own. See what happens. I think it'll lead to good things in your life. It'll lead to good things in your community, uh, and, and the positive impact will grow from there. It's not necessarily about changing minds it's about understanding those differences of opinion sure exactly and i think if you don't don't start from the place of wanting to change minds start from a place of understanding uh it opens up a door to having a conversation around uh around solutions for the challenges that lie ahead of us from january of 2018 our throwback thursday with sarah ruger Director of Free Expression Initiatives from the Charles Koch Institute. You can learn more about 
their work at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Reality TV in America has been known to be pretty tasteless. I mean, let's be honest. Things like Fear Factor and Naked and Afraid and Jersey Shore and the Kardashians and, and all of that. But they've got nothing on this concept uh, that is uh, just beyond the pale. I cannot believe that someone green-lighted this uh, and, and entirely insane. The craziest concept for a, a reality TV competition uh, program that you have ever heard. And it is coming up here in just a moment. Uh, this update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Before we get to that, a Florida woman, sometimes you don't feel sorry for the victims of a crime. And this would be one of those cases. A Florida woman being accused of scamming at least 10 people out of a combined $100,000 with her witchcraft witchcraft services. <laughs> she, she had a witchcraft scam going on. Police in Collier County, Florida, say flyers and ads in the area promoted a woman named Rosalia who promised to fix people's problems through spirituality and witchcraft. <laughs> um... For three months earlier this year, January through March, customers allegedly gave Rosalia sums of money which she said needed to be cleansed. But she never ended up returning the cash. Imagine that. (laughs) Many people, many of the victims say the woman stopped answering calls and texts after they gave her money to perform various acts of witchcraft. (laughs) Police are still looking for Rosalia. There is no word on the possible charges she might face. <laughs> I don't know. If you hire somebody to per- perform acts of witchcraft, I have trouble feeling sorry for you when you get scammed. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm just having trouble feeling sorry for the victims in this case. Oh, no. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning, a man in Italy is under arrest for fraud, extortion, and abuse of office for allegedly collecting the equivalent of 647,000 US dollars over a decade and a half without ever showing up for his job. Now I want to know how he pulled this off. <laughs> Police have uh, dubbed 67-year-old Salvatore Scumasi, who is a worker supposedly at the Pugliese Sciacco Hospital. Police have called him the king of absentees for pulling off one of the most egregious cases of absentee abuse they have ever seen. Authorities say uh, Mr. Skomaski used threats to ensure that he wouldn't be docked for missing work at the hospital. And uh, he later, after so many to- days of, of not showing up for work, so many weeks of not showing up for work and uh, calling in absent, calling in sick, whatever, uh, he eventually just fell off the radar altogether but he was still collecting his paycheck. Six of his superiors have also been placed under investigation on suspicion of never taking action against him. Inve- investigations have shown that Mr. Scamasi was put on the hospital's books in 2005 and never even once showed up for work. 
It's six hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. I just want to know how he did it. That's it. Um. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this one lucky dog, the Edmonton Fire Rescue Service in Alberta, Canada, uh, was summoned on Tuesday afternoon after a witness reported a dog driving a vehicle. Well, not really. Apparently, the dog had uh, popped the uh, vehicle into neutral, causing it to move. (laughs) and It was just rolling down the road with the animal behind the wheel, more or less. Fortunately... It says here the uh, the dog was rescued from the slow-moving vehicle. It doesn't say how. Did not receive any injuries, and everything is just fine. Well, that's <laughs> that's got to be quite a sight. <laughs> the dog driving down the road. Wait, what is that? What is... Crazy story out of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. World War II-era artillery shell. Uh, was fished out of the Grand River. Ryan McCullum told uh, told local news reporters he was fishing in Grand Rapids when his cousin pulled a shell out of the water. Bomb squad had to be called in to make sure that the two-foot-long metal object was not active. After clearing it for safety, the bomb squad took it for further investigation. No word on how or why it might have ended up in the Grand River in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm not sure that they had a whole lot of uh, battles in World War II with the, along the Grand, Raver, Grand River in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I can't remember hearing about any. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something in the history books, but I don't think <laughs> had too many battles there. How that ended up is crazy. A Washington, D.C.-based animal rescue organization needs to unload some animals. Well... Some fish, specifically, 143 goldfish that they rescued from a backyard pond. Apparently what happened, a resident dug a pond in their backyard, filled it with murky water, threw in a bunch of fish, and now that owner is no longer residing at that location. The current property owner had something of a pickle. Uh, Humane Rescue Alliance was contacted and explained when a property developer realized there were more than 100 goldfish in a man-made pond that uh, he wanted to remove. He didn't want to just, you know, kill all the goldfish, so he called in Animal Rescue. Volunteers waded around the man-made pond with nets, scooped out 143 goldfish, and carried them away to the shelter. They said they spent two full days sifting through the pond, water and debris and all of that with the nets. All the little fishies are up for grabs at HumaneRescueAlliance.org. <laughs> 143 rescue goldfish. Crazy. And finally, in the broken news this morning, here's the story. A new Iraqi TV show, reality TV show in Iraq, uh, is this is the concept. They trick people into believing they have been kidnapped by ISIS. Yes, that's right. That is the concept of this new reality TV show in Iraq. The prank show airing During the month of Ramadan, no less, sees men take captives, strap fake suicide vests to them, and warn them of their impending execution. (laughs) Wow. One contestant, quote-unquote contestant, actually passed out in fear, and the show is drawing criticism from people in that country who believe it is in bad taste. (laughs) You think? 
especially in a country where terrorism is a real threat. Uh, the writers for the show defend the concept, saying, yes, it is harsh, but it would have been way harsher if ISIS would have won. Well, you, you can't argue with that, I suppose. Wow, can you imagine? Who, who gave this the green light? There you go. Uh, that is, I mean, we have some tasteless reality TV in this country, but I can't even imagine. That is uh, today's broken news report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Today's broken news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. For a year, we've worked from home, kept kids out of school, canceled holidays and vacations, put up with postponed sports, gave up nights out, and more. You may be wondering how much of the old normal will come back, and are Zoom calls and working from home here for good? You have questions, and that's why we're committed to keeping you up to date with the latest information. It's here at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Um, You know, one of the questions that has been asked uh, during the pandemic is about whether people who have been able to work from home will go back to their workplaces five days a week when it is all over. Uh, And now this is uh, some businesses, especially in this area, have already done this. Uh, I've already transitioned uh, transitioned back. There are still places where folks have been working from home for a year plus. And so uh, still uh, places where they're not fully back in the office yet. Uh, But again, the question is whether these businesses that allowed employees to work remotely or workers were forced to work remotely, in many cases found that they enjoyed that at least some of the time. So will businesses offer these hybrid arrangements that let people work from their home office spaces some days during the week, if not full-time? Some have gone to full-time remote work uh, as opposed to having employees in the building. So there are a lot of uh, arguments back and forth and uh, good arguments on both sides of the the, uh, question. But what I found was uh, interesting was this story. Apparently, people are not just reconsidering how they'll work and where they will work physically, but what job they will be doing. A new survey by Prudential of 2,000 workers found that one in four, 25% of workers, one in four, say that they plan to change jobs once the pandemic eases. They're going to change jobs altogether. Forget working at home, working in the office. I'm going to get a whole new job entirely. 25%. The reasons, they say, that they want to change jobs, better pay, concerns over advancing their career, or just wanting to try something new. Business professor Sharon Segrest, the University of South Florida, says, People during the pandemic are realizing how short life is, and sometimes they decide it's time to look for something a little bit more meaningful and more satisfying. So, there you go. I, I don't know what that would do to the uh, job market. It would be very interesting w- to, to watch over the next several months, the remainder of this year, as to just how much upheaval we find uh, in, the, uh, in the job market. 
I suppose it is uh, appropriate that we talk about this on Earth Day as well. Talking about getting out of store, out of doors, uh, enjoying the simple pleasures of nature. Campfire is heading back to camp. Details this morning on how you can sign your kids up for the uh, day camp and resident camp programs in the summer of 2021. Jeff North is uh, here from uh, Campfire, and it's got to be good to be talking about camp again. Oh, absolutely. We're pretty excited. We Last year, we ran a limited day camp, mm-hmm. and we more or less practiced our COVID protocols. Yeah. But this year, we're hoping to ramp that up. And uh, get back to uh, to normal. So what are the programs that are planned uh, this year for the uh, resident uh, camp and, and uh, day camps at uh, Camp Glenn? Right. Well, uh, we'll start with, you know, Campfire is a youth development organization, nonprofit that does um, Thriveology, and we want to promote grit, grit and thrive and uh, overcoming obstacles. So that's our, you know, that's our philosophy of, of mm-hmm. our youth development through the uh, Search Institute mm-hmm. uh, research. And the type of programs we'll be doing are focused on providing those experiences for the kids. So we want them to challenge themselves in a safe environment to expand their comfort zones and grow. And so we, that's what it's about, is social-emotional uh, learning. And so the activities are the hard skills they learn, but the soft skills they learn are how to negotiate within your group, uh, how to negotiate with each other, how to treat each other, um, how to be a best person or best friend you can be. That's our program. And the hard skills we learn are archery, um, canoeing, crafts, everything you think of, campfires, getting with your group and putting together a skid at the campfire, those types of activities. So it's that social emotional learning. That's what we're trying to promote. It's so important really for parents to uh, think about it on those terms. I mean, I, I know a lot of times, you know, parents think, hey, we can ship the kids off for a few days and keep them occupied, uh, especially in the middle of the summer when sometimes you run out of things to do. But it's more than just that. I mean, like you said, there are an awful lot of skills that you're building here. Right. And building some independence. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have your parents sure. to uh, to guide you through this. You're going to have to figure this out, how you're going to uh, negotiate, mm-hmm. how you're going to work with everyone else in your group. And so I love it when uh, parents call up and they have their kids come back and they say, you know, what did you do to my kid? He sat to ta- he set the table <laughs> last night. <laughs> that's uh, that's a, a big bonus there. Now, give us uh, all of the uh, details on the uh, camp programs uh, for this year, because registration is open now, right? Correct. Yep. Um, CampfireNorthwestOhio.com okay. is our website. And right on the front page is a registration tab for resident camps and day camps. And you can go there and get the uh, more much more information than we can do now. Okay, but that's the that's the start. Probably is the campfirenorthwestohio.com. Okay. What are the uh, dates uh, for those? All right, so we're running day camps um, pretty much in June, from June sixth through um, the next four weeks. Okay, and then uh, we're running our first resident camp on June sixth, and then uh, expect to run on the twentieth, June twentieth, and then in July, um, July eleventh. That's actually going to be here before you know it. I mean, it sounds like a, a long way off, but here we are, uh, almost the end of April now. So some of these are just a little over a month away. Oh yeah, you don't have to tell yeah. me. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I am. I am gearing up for it. Sure. We're going to be ready. Busy, uh, uh, busy preparing. And for those who uh, are not familiar, uh, Camp Glen is just a wonderful facility. Oh, wonderful! I mean, it was built in 1959. Uh, our lodge is the Marathon was the Noeo Lodge built by Mar- Marathon. Uh, Camp Glen is named after Glenna Donnell, uh, who is a big supporter. And when we got incorporated, and uh, we've been incorporated here in Finley, and then of course at Camp Glen, um, 
since 1929. So we have a long history of being a youth development organization here in the in the county. And uh, if uh, folks want to sign their kids up for the uh, camp programs, they have to be uh, involved in the uh, campfire program prior to this. No, we uh, we would of course love that. Um, you know, having gloves and things like that. But it's an open enrollment, okay. and so anyone with an interest uh, and can check us out and sign up their kids. And we can also set up visits for the camp. If you want to see it for, uh, firsthand, it's a beautiful facility, as you said. Absolutely. And, uh, again, uh, just to make sure that everybody is comfortable with this, uh, you do have all those protocols uh, in place. Uh, obviously, we're hopefully on the backside uh, of this pandemic, but uh, still keeping uh, camp safety uh, first and foremost. Yep, great question. We're part of the American Camp Association, and they have a field guide. Uh, it's about 128 pages of – goodness of how to run a resident camp during COVID. Yeah. And so we'll be following those protocols as well as anything else that comes down the... What would, what do what do families need to know uh, with respect to preparing kids for camp? Uh, and, and again, all of this will be explained, uh, but just to give people uh, kind of an idea uh, who may be on the fence, do I really want to... Do I want to sign my kids up for this? Do I not? What's going to be different about the experience at camp than maybe in a normal year where you don't have to worry about these things? Well, it's going to be probably a little bit less of the larger group things. It'll be okay. much more in a, staying within a pod, so to speak, and traveling and working with your counselors. And um, there won't be probably as much of the type of activities where it'd be a large group. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of activities that require you know hand-holding and things like that but one of the best things of course is at camp is um, you learn to work with other people and your small groups and when we have our alumni association we have all these wonderful uh, ladies when it was campfire girls only now Mm -hmm. we're boys and girls yeah um, they come out and they just break into songs when having a weekend with them and it's just so awesome that that's what they remember yeah Uh, so again just kind of uh, put that out there that there may be some uh, you know protocol adjustments uh, obviously getting back into the swing of things but so good to actually have the opportunity to present the camp programs both the day camp and the resident camp and uh, we mentioned dates coming up in June and July how quickly do these uh, fill up? I mean, should I be signing my kid up today, or do I have a couple of weeks, or what is the you know general timeline here? Yep, it just really depends uh, okay. on which week. The first uh, our first camp week is looking stronger. Um, the other weeks are a little bit behind them. So I know there are spots available on all three of those weeks. All right. So I I wanted to point that out because again, when we talk about these things coming up in June and July, people may think, oh, well, I've got time. I don't have to worry about this right now, but it is coming up a little over a month uh, from now. So uh, better sooner, better sooner than later uh, is the message there. Absolutely. Again, uh, Jeff North from uh, Campfire with us uh, this morning. Uh, talking about their uh, resident and day camp programs for the summer of 2021. We've got the link up at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Jeff, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, following up on the Hancock County Commissioner's plan to purchase most of the Findlay Mall, Economic Development Director Tim Miley will join us to share his thoughts on how that might impact the overall future revitalization of the property. 
So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.